these next two episodes of Let You Down feel very connected to me. It's not a part one, part two situation, and there's not necessarily a lot of overlap in the themes that come up in the two interviews, but the two people that I'm talking to are both friends of mine who were there for me during a couple of particularly difficult times in my life. Dan Walker is a singer-songwriter, and he's currently getting his teaching certificate. His band, Owen Meany's Batting Stance, makes a literary folk rock that you can laugh and cry to. I should know. I'm in it. One time, we were on tour together, and about halfway through, we had just gotten to Toronto, and the festival that we were playing was putting us up in a hotel, but one of us had to put a $50 damage deposit on a credit card, which Dan didn't have, but I did. So I opened my banking app to move some money around and saw that the checking account that was supposed to have about $600 in it had negative 300 because the paycheck I had deposited the week before and had already been spending bounced and my bosses refused to reimburse me for it. I cleared out my savings account and made it through the rest of tour, but I was so sad because I was so excited to be in Toronto on record store day to buy myself a tour souvenir and I couldn't afford it anymore. But Dan surprised me with a copy of Tallahassee by the Mountain Goats, the band who our mutual love of brought us together as friends in the first place. It was such a perfect, lovely gesture and it really got me through the next few weeks. And I'm so thankful for the man who was about to introduce himself. My name is Daniel Walker, and I live in Shabuktuk, Halifax, Nova Scotia, and uh, am from the project Owen Meany's Batting Stance alongside Kaylin. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much for doing this, for inviting me into your home. Happily, anytime. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'll just, I usually get right into it. What is a story of a time where maybe you were disappointed by a situation or a person or anything? I had one situation that instantly came to mind. And for this one, we go back to grade 11. And I went to high school in Ontario. So in Ontario, high school is grade 9 to 12. There's no junior high integration. And from grade 9 to 10, I was, you know, friends with everyone, but good friends with no one. And then in grade 11, I started developing a really close friend group. And this friend group was mainly uh, oriented around my connection with this friend named Julian. And Julian and I were in improv together. We'd exercise together, walk home from school together. We were great pals. And one uh, Christmas break of grade 11, uh, there was a New Year's Eve party. And... Like this whole like new group of friends was going to go and Julian and I had hung out earlier that day and it was around 3 p.m. And as we were leaving, we had made a tentative plan to call each other around 630. And then we'd meet up, meet our pals, go to the party. So it's like six o'clock. I start getting ready and then 630 comes and I excitedly call Julian. His dad answers because it's like the home phone. And his dad says, Julian's in the shower. I'm like, okay, no problem. So I call back 15 minutes later. His dad answers. And he's like, um, Julian's not available right now. I'm like, okay, cool. So I, I call back. And all of a sudden, Julian's gone. He's left the house. And only one of our friends had a cell phone. And then he wasn't picking up. And I've been, like, I'm calling at this point. It's like 10 o'clock. And I'm still in, like, my New Year's Eve outfit, still hoping 
And then they answer, and all I hear is laughing. And, like, they just, like, ghosted me. And it was, like, this, you know, really disappointing experience because it was the first time I was really, you know, fulfilled with a group of friends. Uh, It was the first New Year's Eve party I was going to. And, you know, the worst part was that, you know, I wasn't close with that whole group, but I was really close with Julian. And it just really let me down. And that is my story of disappointment. Was there ever any follow-up with that group of people? Like, do you know, was that like the group maybe was like pressuring him into not inviting you? We didn't talk for a while. I was very upset. And there was probably like four main people in the group. And they all, you know, thought it was really funny. And it's ultimately malicious. But for them, it was honestly just like really funny that Daniel was calling and wanted to come so badly and wasn't able to. And I I don't understand it to this day. But, it, you know, like we would still hang out. We were still friends. But... Uh, it just changed my expectations for what friendship was with them. So I wasn't as worried about investing my energy and effort into that group anymore. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's like any ways where maybe that has like reflected in interactions you've had with other people since? Definitely. I don't like feeling that I've been left out of something and... I'm 30 years old, and that insecurity is just as rife as it was when I was 18, even though I have better coping mechanisms now than I did then. But, you know, I think a lot of that is that that domino experience definitely falls onto dominoes today. Mm-hmm. The, the FOMO is real. Yeah. And it's like not so much missing out on an event it's just like the invite being missed out on yeah and it's like (laughs) i do this a little bit too sometimes i don't think (laughs) if i have had an experience like that i have successfully repressed the memory of it right yeah um but it's that feeling of like yeah if you don't get the invite or like you know people are hanging out but you're not hanging out it's like oh did they decide to do that was it a direct action to not include me Mm mm-hmm I'm going to tell you what that reminds me of, and it's going to be, it's not a great parallel, but have you ever seen Never Been Kissed? No. Okay. Never Been Kissed is a Drew Barrymore film from, I think, the late 90s. I was obsessed with it as a kid, and basically, she plays this reporter who, that's the whole thing. She's she's never been kissed, but there's a, there's a flashback. I don't remember if it's a flashback or if it's how the movie begins, but it's basically her being like not super cool in high school. And then a jock inviting her to prom and then like her getting her nice prom dress on going out onto the deck to like wait for them to pick her up. And it's like the limo's driving by. He gets up out of like the sunroof and it's like this really nice moment. And then like his actual girlfriend also gets out of the sunroof and they're like got their arms around each other. And I think maybe then people like throw eggs at her. Okay. Which that's not quite what happened to you. But then the whole point of Never Been Kissed is that she's a journalist and she volunteers to like do this undercover story going undercover in a high school. <laughs> so it's like 30-year-old Drew Barrymore pretending to be 18. Right. And I guess I mostly just find that very funny in that you are now a 30-year-old man going, going back to back, school. Going back to school. Yeah, totally. totally. Uh, yeah. Which I is, love Drew Barrymore. It's a, it's a long walk. 
But there's also a really great scene where David Arquette eats an entire bucket of coleslaw. Okay. Uh, I'd recommend it. I'd put it on your Sign list. me up. Well, I like the late 90s movies. There's a lightheartedness and feel goodness where like nothing really goes wrong. Mm-hmm. Is there a story you could share with me of maybe a time that you disappointed someone? Sure. <clears throat> so this one is uh, an interesting one, especially like in consideration of the band. And we put out an album and it had this song called The Androgynous Hockey Stick, which was largely rooted in my experience being bullied in hockey. And a lot of the source of that was that I went to a choir school and, you know, whatever, for whatever reason, that was a root of bullying for, you know, pre-pubescent boys. So the, the other boys playing hockey didn't like that you went to a choir school. Yes. It's not that the choir school had a hockey team that was no, particularly... Correct. Yeah. Thank you for drawing the distinctions there because that is important. So I played hockey outside of school and I played select for the first time when I was like eight and nine. And so now I'm 10 years old and I'm playing house league and my dad's the coach and, you know, like I was being bullied for sure in Select, which is what it was called. And you played Select and House League. Mm-hmm. So Select was, you know, a bit more skilled, nothing crazy. And then House League was more communal. And we had this guy on the team named David. And David was brand new to hockey. And like most people jump into hockey when they're like six or seven, sometimes later. But David was really new and... I don't know why, but like I was awful to David and like I bullied him in a similar way to the way that I was bullied on hockey. And I'm not like saying that to deflect it because it just puzzles me more why I was being affected by something that I then like cause on someone else. Mm -hmm. So I was like really shitty to this guy, David, and I like really disappointed, obviously him. I don't know if he can continue playing hockey after that, but that's like the exact culture that I hate. I really disappointed my dad because he saw a side in me that was like really bad, that was just negative and unhealthy. And I was really disappointed in myself because I couldn't reconcile all that. And like, you know, today it's still, I wrote about me as a victim in the hockey, not me victimizing someone else. And I think that's probably like self-preservation because I don't like dwelling on that too much. But that's definitely like my story of disappointing Uh, a lot of people yeah it's that sort of like action of (laughs) I feel like I've been saying this a lot in my own life this year but you know hurt people hurting people where it's like and maybe I'm misreading this but it sounds like a lot of people are kind of like putting you at the bottom and so when there was like an opportunity to maybe not be the person at the bottom of select you take it I obviously I don't think that reflects on you now as a 30 year old man having been that means the world. Like, I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, and I hope that, like, part of that is because moments like that have, you know, stuck with me in an, in an impactful way and, like, in a way that I'm still uncomfortable with and uneasy with. And I'd like to think that's the reason why we can grow is because we're uneasy with it still, maybe. No, but. absolutely. It's, like, for me personally, <laughs> I have a really easy time, you know, if I'm, like, reflecting on a situation where either I acted in a way that like now I'm like either like ashamed of or like maybe even at the time I knew wasn't great. It's really easy for me to like slip into just feeling really guilty and like really down on myself about it. But it is like, sucks to say, but it's like 
it's an opportunity as well. Like having that like uncomfortableness and like sitting with it and like giving yourself time to like reflect on it. Mm-hmm. That is where growth, another Owen Meany's batting stance song. <laughs> That's where it happens. And it's mm-hmm. just like, I, part of that is why I think this is like a very interesting question. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like I'm congratulating myself for coming up with an interesting question to ask people. Oh, it's a great hook though. Certainly not. It's a great hook of vulnerability. And I'm sure there's like other reasons why that are probably not hard to figure out why I gave more detail into the first question of like what's a time that you were disappointed by other people. And I gave less detail in the anecdote of times that I disappointed others. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. been really interesting talking to people about this. At this point, I think I've talked to like three other people and two of them we're both like, I can't know if I've disappointed someone unless they tell me. So I'm not really sure how to answer that question, which really surprised me because I'm just like, oh, I just always assume that that is what is <laughs> that is the energy I'm putting out into the world. And I feel like maybe you have a little bit of that, too, where it's like you were the easiest one to get that story out of. Right. I think of like, right. this is the time I let someone down. And I think part of that is like the way that you and I. I'm just going to say it as Pisces. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the way that we like will carry things with us like that. Yeah, it kind of feels like like we can be with a group like walking through a huge grass and it's like you're just very concerned that you walked on flowers, but you know, mm-hmm. you're just on grass. Yeah. Um, thank you for sharing that. Uh, thank you for the platform to share it and to think about it a little bit and think yeah. more on it. Ultimately... That's that is something that I didn't think of, like when I was preparing what the questions were going to be, the fact that it is like healthy to like reflect on times Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. I was just like, I just think this is a really interesting emotion that I think is very like distinct from regret, sad or like angry, like disappoint. (laughs) doesn't get talked about a lot. But if you can approach these memories of situations in a healthy, productive way, it's very helpful. Agreed. (laughs) Um, Agreed. On a much lighter note. Yeah. So what is something either that you have done that you are proud of or something coming up that you are excited about? Um, I think ultimately everything we've done with Owen Meany's batting stance is what I'm most proud of. Um, growing up in high school, I spent all my free time listening to music and playing music and going to concerts with my friend Nick and that extended into university. And I never thought that I would ever write a song that I'd ever be able to, that I would ever think of something that I thought was worth writing about and that I'd ever play with other people. And, you know, all those things have happened and we've had some awesome experiences and I know that I've definitely felt a sense of actualization that I haven't felt in any other avenue of my uh, creative life or, you know, just life whenever you have a task that you put effort towards there's no greater payoff for me than when we're either performing or writing a song so i'm most proud of owen meany's batting stance the albums we've put out the shows we've played and more than anything the friendships and times in between because you like that's been a vessel i think our friend ryan brown said that being in a band ultimately has been a vessel for really positive experiences and i think the most positive of them has been all the great people you meet that you wouldn't have met otherwise. Yeah. The discussion that I had with Maddie Grace about this was we got very, very centered on music for like a long time and about how it's like playing music and performing music and like 
trying to approach the industry seven times out of 10, you're going to be disappointed. Oh, that's yeah, that's generous. Like, and I think those like two out of those, like the three that are positive, I think two out of the three will let you down in a few months from now. (laughs) Yeah. But it's like, it's like that one, that like one out of 10 Mm -hmm. that like, it just like makes up for everything else so much. Yeah. Fast, fast memory. Is there, is there a particular show memory that you have? Um, definitely the show that we did with, for In the Dead of Winter opening for uh, Gianna Lauren, The Burning Hell, and The Weather Station. Um, that was probably the biggest show that stood out because like you and I, we had been playing around the city for probably like a year and a half at that point. And then this was the first like legitimate festival in the city that had accepted us. And on top of that, it was one that I really wanted to play. And like some of my favorite songwriters were playing that bill. So it was very affirming to be part of that festival to, I think that was the time we're meeting Dana Beeler. And so, um, you know, meeting and befriending Dana and, you know, everything that she's contributed to the music community out here was, was huge. And that show I think about a lot and just think of, so fondly because it felt like a culmination of a lot of things we had been working on and it felt great to be performing on that side of the stage and Leith was with us which was really fun like like all like always always want Siobhan there always want Siobhan but uh the odd time when Siobhan's got something else going on Leith is just so much fun so that was fun as well um, that actually was also going to be my, as soon as I asked the question, I was like, Oh, like, how would I answer that? And that was the first show that came to mind awesome. for me as well. I think for a lot of those same reasons, also just to be able to like, you know, at that point I had never, I hadn't listened to the burning hell yet. I was aware of them because you had talked about them. Mm-hmm. So like, I knew that that was like a very important band for you. So for that show to also sort of like kickstart the friendship that you've developed with, with them that's been really special for me to be able to kind of like be around for that i can remember like lovely i don't remember if it was then or like another show that we played with them but i remember them like us having a very late night at your house just like staying up drinking whiskey yeah and just being like oh just like being like how surreal must this be for Mm -hmm. for dan to like be experiencing this right now totally and it was really really great that was i forgot that leith played that show yeah i feel like that would have been a point in time too where it's like we hadn't played with Siobhan yet. No. And I no. feel like... Oh, well, I I had because the first time that I ever played live was when The Brood had their residency at Beerly's. So the first time that I ever played songs that would be a part of Owen Mooney's batting stance that didn't exist yet. Oh, wait, no, but Siobhan didn't play that. It was Billy and Seamus. So never mind. No, you're totally right. I'm so sorry. Well, I feel like also Leith very much carries himself as like a hired gun mm-hmm. you know he's like i he, he'll work for hire and like siobhan will too but i don't think i don't think she really like not that she doesn't like advertise but it's like he very much creates that image for himself and i don't know about you but i i get really nervous to ask my friends <laughs> mm. to play with me so i feel like there's a bit more of an approachability to that there too um they're both so great. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And the great Neil Reed was holding it down for a while early on too. Mm -hmm. And that's I just want to ask you one more question then. Oh, about course, now yeah, that yeah. we're now that we're thinking about it. I guess I'm just curious to know, like, from a creative output, if there's any like oh mini song that you're particularly like proud of or like any lyric that maybe like this is something I saw people talking about on Twitter recently was like, oh, do you ever look back at your lyrics and be like, oh, how did I do that? Yeah. Um, I think there was like a three, three week period in November of 2017 where I just gotten back off that European tour and I was feeling really motivated and I was like working on writing the second album and it was like November. So I'd been back for like a month and a half and I'd been at music week and met a couple of people. And so I had one of those two out of 10 positive things that ended up just being awful. But I was feeling really positive about the momentum of everything. And I wrote, I think, what was it? I wrote Car Odyssey, Krakow, um, Breakfast Again, and uh, and finished. I had half of it, but I had finished Heart Attack. Pretty well started and finished those songs despite having like Cole's notes notes for them already in about a three, four week period. And I just knew that I was, you know, really doing something that I was proud of. And I remember working on Krakow in particular. And usually when I write, I'll have like all the ideas and concepts that I want to write about written in the structure of the song where I want to deal with them. And then I'll go back and try to be more poetic with how I engage with it. And so I was at this point in the song very early on where I knew I wanted to portray that I'd been here for a really long time, but it just like felt like it wasn't ending and ending. And I went from having that thought to the line, months felt handkerchief clown trick long. And I was like, I can't take a break right now. Like this is like, I, I that's a sign that things are going okay right now. So I would say that that moment was a, great distillation for that like three four week period and I might be romanticizing it might have been longer and I might have had more done than I thought but uh that period and then that moment within that period I think yeah. months felt clown handkerchief long. clown shirt handkerchief long uh handkerchief clown tricks like the sleeve yeah that one. just never ends yeah and it's just like new colors and it's like you're just like I need this to be over but Mm -hmm. that is a that is a really great line oh thank you thank the you. imagery hey um okay well that's really great thank you so much oh my goodness thank you so much for having it uh i never know I how to end know. these these portions so i usually just do i usually just yeah hit a, the space bar well thank you so much it's been a pleasure and uh thanks anytime thank you day to return the rental car months felt handkerchief clown trick long I've marveled crowds and architects to exhaustion
It's Canadian Thanksgiving In a hostel In Krakow With accents that I can't figure out And faces I know nothing about Let You Down was made possible thanks to an initial commission by Mulgrave Road Theatre. Our theme song is by Jay Stroutman, and our artwork was made by Isra Fitch. You can hire both of them. Let You Down is hosted by me, Kaylin Pygott, and I am also the social media manager. At the time of this recording, I'm not sure if I'm going to slash already have made an Instagram or a Twitter account for the podcast, but you can follow me. Uh, at Twitter at No It's Fine Really or on Instagram at underscore no underscore it's underscore fine underscore. You can also like and subscribe and follow this podcast on any of the podcasting apps. Like wherever you are currently listening to this podcast, there's probably a button that you can hit that will make the algorithm ding a bit and make me feel a little bit better. I cannot believe it is episode four. And that's the first time I thought to tell you to do that. I should be fired. Thank you once again to my guest today, Dan Walker, whose song Krakow from the Owen Meany's batting stance record, Featherweights, you are listening to right now. It's the one that we talked about at the end of the podcast. It makes a lot of sense. Thematically, it's great. I This is my second time recording the outro. And the first time I did, I accidentally called the album Heavyweights. Uh, and I'm on it, so fuck me, I guess. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'll see you next time.